Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. Our study today. Our, our Wednesday messages are part of a series that we call Pondering Prophecy. And we've had the opportunity to speak over the last uh, few months of the scriptures that are connected or are in part of the prophecies related to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And this study of prophecy, particularly the prophecies connected uh, with the second coming or the end of the age, is what's called eschatology. Now, eschatology is just a fancy Greek word that means the study of the last things. You know, all through the age of the church, the believers have been told to look forward to the return of Jesus. The Apostle Paul describes it often, and he calls it the, the blessed hope. It is the fulfillment of all of the promises that God has made to the believer that we will be with, with Jesus. The Apostle Paul clearly tells us that there will be a, a generation, a generation of believers, this generation that is alive at the beginning of what we know as the last days, that never dies. This generation will be caught up to be together with the Lord. This is called the great appearing of the Lord. It also is called the rapture of the church. And this is what scriptures tells us. This is uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 beginning in verse 16. It says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. You know, so as I said, the Apostle Paul describes this not only as the hope of believer, but he calls it the blessed hope. It's the fulfillment of all the promises, but it's also the fulfillment of prophecy itself, including all of the promises made to Israel. And each of those prophecies will be fulfilled in like manner. Our topic today is the mark of the beast. And we will be looking primarily at Revelation uh, chapter 13. You know, unfortunately, there's a lot of trepidation and a lot of misinformation related to the mark of the beast. And maybe this conversation makes you a little uncomfortable. Uh, well, let me tell you, some would call um, those that spread patently uh, false information false prophets. I want to give them the benefit of the doubt, however. I think they're just likely very poorly trained in unpacking and understanding these scriptures. You know, we never want to treat prophecy as some kind of a conspiracy theory. It's the prophetic word of God. It is holy and it's profound. It can be trusted and it will be fulfilled. You know, personally, I love reading and trying to uh, fully understand the book of Revelation as well as Old Testament prophets like Daniel and Ezekiel and Isaiah. And, you know, the more you read it and study it, the less perplexing and baffling it becomes. You know, while it has many symbols, the symbols are those that have been used before 
in the Old Testament, by the Old Testament prophets. And what they represent typically has already been revealed. Often the symbols in the Bible are revealed in the text that immediately follows the symbol. You know, for example, in chapter 1 of the book of Revelation, we see seven golden lampstands and seven stars. But then immediately in verse 20, it says the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. It's not a mystery. It's just angels and churches. In Revelation 12, we see a fiery red dragon, a frightful image. But then in verse 9, it says, So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. You know, other symbols are used often that, take this to, uh, that, that we uh, take from the prophecies of Daniel and Ezekiel. So before we get started talking about the mark of the beast, I want to I go through what I call a couple of the keys uh, to understanding prophecy. And really, there's just two that are, that are really key. Uh, if you've been following these weekly prophecy updates, I've already given two keys. And the first key is to try to keep it as literal as possible. This primarily means that it will be fulfilled literally. We don't take the dragons as literal. You know, Jesus said he was the door, but that was a metaphor. It was a, it was a symbol of, of the, the ministry that Jesus has. You know, in the future, it hasn't, um, if these prophecies haven't happened yet, they will happen as they are described at some time in the future. That can sometimes be difficult because the specific prophecy about the end times is, is so spectacular. It's so cataclysmic. It's actually so horrific that sometimes it's, it's difficult to believe that it will be fulfilled as it is written. But this is exactly what the end of the age is about. This is the judgment of the world, the judgment of the nations. And that's what this prophecy is, is typically about. Now, secondly, the second key is to understand that the center of all of the events we see in the end times, the center is actually Israel the people of Israel, as well as the land of Israel. The promises that God made to Israel are about to be fulfilled. People that understand that God is not done with Israel understand that this time of tribulation that we read about in the book of Revelation is Daniel's 70th week. The final seven years where God reveals to Israel that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And ultimately, all of Israel all those that remain will be saved. So let's begin our investigation today into what the book of Revelation calls the mark of the beast. Let me give you a brief summary of this teaching and then we'll look at some of the specific uh, scripture, particularly in Revelation chapter 13. Now, this, this mark that's described, this mark of the beast in the 13th chapter of the book of Revelation is some kind of a visible seal or a mark that the followers of the Antichrist will willingly take in order to show their allegiance to him. It's the primary way that the Antichrist controls the world's economy. As the scripture says that the second beast, and we'll talk about that person in a minute, forces all people great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. 
Now, we don't know exactly what this mark will look like. However, in keeping with one of the keys of understanding prophecy, we assume that there will be a literal fulfillment to this prophecy, meaning there will be a mark. There will be a mark on the right hand or on the forehead. Some people speculate that this could be an implant microchip or a vaccine and that the buying of selling would be all digital, that there would be a cashless society. Now, this is possible, but while it's possible, don't let the possibility or the adaptation of modern technology overshadow what the scripture is actually saying. This is a mark that people will willingly take in the end times. And this is the very end of the end times. This is the last three and a half years of what we know as the seven years of tribulation. These people take the mark because they identify themselves with the Antichrist. How do they identify the, with themselves? Well, they worship the Antichrist. They're on his team. Now, this is opposed to those whose names are written in the book of life. The tribulation saints who are sealed by God are the are the people that are in the book of life. The tribulation saints will not and cannot take the mark of the beast and many as a result will be killed. They will be martyred. Um, you know in the in, in uh, recent past, uh, talk about this mark of the beast, in the recent past we've had all kinds of speculation about what this is. And just in my, uh, in the recent 20-30 years, I remember that uh, the Visa credit card was the mark of the beast. Uh, the WWW of the World Wide Web um, was the mark of the beast or a barcode. Uh, and most recently, it's the COVID vaccine. Uh, that's the mark of the beast. None of these, however, are the mark of the beast and they can't be. There's, there's reason they can't be is because there's no beast. If there's no beast, there can't be any mark of the beast. Um, you know, we know that there's no beast yet, no antichrist yet, the one that is called the lawless one because he is still being restrained. And scripture tells us clearly in 2 Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul writing says, he speaks specifically of the Antichrist and he speaks of the church and the time the Antichrist will be revealed. This is what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 beginning in verse 5. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things and now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. Then he continues. The Apostle Paul says, For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. So the context we see here is very clearly the coming of the Lord. And this lawless one is none other than the Antichrist. And Paul says that, that at some time in the future, he which is restraining will be taken out of the way. Now, some people think that the one that is restraining, the he that's restraining is the Holy Spirit. But we know that the Holy Spirit is omnipresent. You can't take God out of any situation because he's, he's always there. However, the body of Christ, the body of believers, people like you and I, are told that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He lives within us. So a literal reading is that, that the scriptures are giving us is, is, again, it's just one more hint of many that the body of Christ will be taken out 
out of the way uh, and what is referred to as the end of the time of the Gentiles, the return of the bridegroom, or the rapture of the church. We will be out of here. Now, a literal reading of Revelation and other end times prophecy in the Bible um, illustrates clearly that there is a, a schedule, a timeline that already has been revealed. The Old Testament prophet Daniel prophesied that there would be 70 weeks, actually 70 sets of seven years that mark the time of God's interaction with Israel. But Daniel gave specificity, only described 69 of the seven weeks, of the 70 weeks, leaving one final week we commonly call the time of Jacob's trouble or the time of the tribulation. It is during this final seven years that the Antichrist or the beast will rise to power. We know from Scripture that this ruler will subdue three kings or nations and become the ruler of a ten-nation confederation. That's Daniel chapter 7, also Revelation 17, 7. He is the one that confirms a covenant with many, a treaty with Israel, uh, Daniel 9, that he breaks in the middle of the seven years. While we believe the scripture teaches clearly that Jesus returns for his bride, the church prior to the tribulation, the book of Revelation also tells us that the beast, this Antichrist, wars against the saints. Well, who are these saints? If the church is gone, where are these saints from? Well, these saints are called the tribulation saints. They're a mixture of Gentiles and Jews that come to know Jesus as the Messiah after the departure, after the rapture. This is through the ministry of the 144,000 uh, that are sealed in Revelation chapter 7, 12,000 from 12 different tribes. These go forward and evangelize. They prophesy, they preach the gospel to all of those that dwell on the earth. Now, in addition to the 144,000, there will be two witnesses on the streets of Jerusalem, uh, spoken in Revelation chapter 7. Uh, chapter 11. Scripture says they will prophesy for 1260 days. This is exactly 42 months or three and a half years, likely the last, or I'm sorry, likely the first three and a half years of the tribulation. You know, this time period, 42 months, three and a half, uh, 42 months, three and a half years, time, times, and half a time is given often in the book of Revelation. It's given so often that we really need to take it seriously and as literally as possible. Now, the 144,000 that are sealed seem to have protection. However, the rest that are sealed, the rest of these tribulation saints that are sealed by God, are sealed with a, a promise. It's a promise of the Holy Spirit that they are, they are saved, they are redeemed, but unfortunately, likely, they will all be martyred, they will all be killed. Now, before we get too deep into Revelation 13, let me talk a little bit about these, these theories, these conspiracy theories, either about the World Health Organization, the CDC, Bill Gates, Microsoft Chinese, you can Google them. I mean, there's all kinds of theories out there that are already at work pulling the strings that ushers in the Antichrist, the tribulation, and the, or there's theories actually that the tribulation has already started, that the rider on the pale horse, the fourth seal of the, of the book of Revelation has already been set loose. Now here's the thing, the tribulation period that the book of Revelation describes is a specific seven-year period that doesn't begin 
until the Antichrist, the lawless one, the man of perdition, is revealed. See, it all starts with this man. This man. This man makes a covenant with many. That's the beginning of the tribulation period. We also see this, this lawless one standing in the temple where he should not, the abomination of desolation. Now, this hasn't happened, and it won't happen until the Lord comes for his bride. Uh, the Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians that God has not destined us, that's the body of Christ, to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, yes, we can see similarities in the technologies and the motivations around us um, and some of the things that will happen during the end times. You know, for example, the present coronavirus pandemic, the global shutdown, the totalitarian response to shutting down all of our businesses, our schools, our churches, um, the recently released vaccines, and the implications that, yes, perhaps you need to even get the vaccine before you're allowed to go back to work. Sounds a lot like being able to buy or sell. Now, while many of these things may be the forerunner of the mark of the beast that would be required, for example, in order to buy or sell, it's likely because totalitarian governments have always been the same. These dictators, these despots from Caesar through Hitler to Ho Chi Minh, these dictators are always after control. They're always trying to control their population. They're trying to restrict travel, restrict free speech. Uh, in Nazi Germany, you had to carry identification papers, modern-day passports that are scanned electronically coming, and uh, modern-day passports that are scanned electronic, electronically, and even modern-day vaccines. Uh, that possibly will be coordinated uh, globally uh, to see whether an individual has a, a vaccine or not. Well, this is just modern technology being applied so that totalitarian governments of the future will be able to use these technologies for their own benefit. So I can understand that when you see these things, you might be, uh, might be frightened. You might be reminded of what it says in the book of Revelation. Well, that's okay. Just understand that when you see these things, understand that the day of Christ, the day of the end times, the day of his coming is clearly approaching. Now I want to spend the remaining time explaining how the, the scriptures speak of this beast, uh, this antichrist, and give you some context of what we're talking about today, which is the mark of the beast. So we're going to look at uh, Revelation chapter 13. It's a relatively short chapter, and I'll just pick up a few verses to give you again the context and the time frame. Revelation chapter 13, verse 1 says this. It says, And I stood on the sand of the sea. Now this is the Apostle John looking. And he saw a beast rise out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his heads ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. Now, this is the Antichrist. Scripture says he comes out of the sea. Now, likely this is a reference, from my perspective, to the Mediterranean Sea, the heart of the old Roman Empire, the last empire that Daniel saw. It says this beast has seven heads and ten horns and ten crowns. The ten horns are explained later in Revelation chapter 17 as representing ten kings. Daniel tells us that of the ten, this one that comes later, the little horn, also called the Antichrist, uproots three. Ten minus three is seven. Therefore, seven heads, ten horns, and ten crowns. No mystery. It's been revealed. 
Now, the next few verses in chapter 13 are important. It says, And I saw one of his heads, as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? You know, Satan is a counterfeiter. He's, the, he's a copycat and he is a fake. He manufactures a deadly wound for this Antichrist that is then healed. It's a counterfeit resurrection, mimicking exactly Christ's uh, death on the cross and his resurrection. Uh, this is the Antichrist. However, the world marvels and follows the beast, the Antichrist. Verse 5 says this, And he, that's the Antichrist, was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. There's that time period again. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell on uh, and dwell in heaven. The Antichrist is, is fully revealed about halfway through the seven-year period, about three and a half years. This is when the covenant with the Jews is broken. He desecrates the temple in Jerusalem, and that likely that's when about he receives this wound, this mortal wound that's healed. It's possibly an assassination attempt. We just speculate, uh, but it's, that's very possible. And then it miraculously heals. Likely this is also when um, he overcomes the two witnesses that prophesy for the first 42 months. He kills them. But the scriptures tell us that they stand on their feet after three days of lying dead in the streets of Jerusalem and God catches them up. Same, same thing that happens with the, the, the bride of Christ. He catches them up into heaven. The Antichrist knows that his time is short, particularly during this time. And he literally is inhabited, he's possessed by Satan himself. He blasphemes everything, everything that is holy. Verse 17 says this, It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life, of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. You know, the Antichrist, it's, it's very clear here, makes war against the saints. You know, there's likely both, this is both Jewish as well as Gentile believers. You know, it's, it's possible that it's at this time that many Jews escape to a place in the wilderness. Uh, chapter 12 of Revelation, the previous chapter tells us that the woman, that is Israel, fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. There's that timing again. Now, a few verses later in chapter 13, we're introduced to another beast. That's right. There's another beast. Verse 11 says, Then I saw a second beast coming out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. It exercised all the authority of the first beast on its behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. Now, the second beast is often called the false prophet. Remember, I said that Satan is a counterfeiter. And there, here is the satanic trinity. You have the beast, the false prophet, and Satan himself, all three of them. And they're all empowered by Satan. The second beast has two horns, like a lamb, like the Lamb of God. 
But the scripture says it spoke like a, a dragon. Remember, the dragon is representative, a symbol of the devil. This false prophet is empowered by Satan with supernatural power and makes all those who dwell on the earth worship the first beast. This is the Antichrist. And again, it mentions the fatal wound that was healed. Verse 14 says this. It says, because of the signs it was given power to perform on behalf of the first beast, it deceived the inhabitants of the earth. It ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet live. This is the third time that it speaks about this, this wound that was healed, this miraculous wound. And this is a, a reason why many of the people, the dwellers on the earth, not the saints, but those who dwell on the earth, inhabit the earth, worship the image of the beast. Now here in the scripture we see deception and the reason that all of us need to be careful of signs and wonders. Satan has the ability to use signs and wonders to deceive. This false prophet deceives the inhabitants of the earth. It sets up an image of the beast, an idol, and an idol that is to be worshipped. Verse 15 says this, it says, The second beast was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast, so that the image could speak and cause all who refused to worship the beast to be killed. It also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. Notice what's happening. The false prophet creates this wonder that deceives those who dwell on the earth and those that refuse to worship the image are killed. Here it also tells us that the mark of the beast and it says that all people, great and small, those who are wealthy as well as powerful, as well as those that are poor and lowly, rich, poor, free, and slave, all have to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads. Now this mark, the Greek word is charagma. It means to engrave. It's the term uh, how uh, the, the image of the Caesar was engraved into the metal that was used for coins. In the ancient world, such marks, or tattoos, or brands were commonly given to slaves as well as to soldiers. This is a direct contest by the, contrast, by the way, to the seal of God, which was mentioned earlier. In Revelation chapter 7, the verse 3, the angel says, Do not damage the earth or the sea or the trees until we have marked, sealed, the servants of our God with a seal on their forehead. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000, sealed out of every tribe of the people of Israel. Now in 2 Corinthians, the, the Apostle Paul explains that all of us as believers, God has set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a, as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. You see, this is why the Bible often contrasts these saints, these tribulation saints in the end times that do not take the mark, cannot take the mark, with those that talk about those that dwell on the earth. You see, the saints actually, even though we're, we're just passing through, our, our home is in heaven. Our home is in heaven. Those that dwell on the earth are those that will follow the Antichrist, uh, those that will take the mark. The saints, on the other hand, have been sealed by the living God. While Satan has deceived those taking the mark of the beast, they still take it 
willingly. You know, some people ask me, you know, can I be deceived? Can I, can I take the mark of the beast even though I, I don't know it's the mark? No, you can't. This is a willing uh, mark. This is a willing identification and it has to do with the worship of the Antichrist, the beast. The Bible tells us that those that take the mark of the beast are ultimately destroyed. The saints of God, on the other hand, do not take the mark. Many are killed, however, none are destroyed. Even though they're killed, none are destroyed in the second death. The scripture tells us that the mark is actually a representation of the number of his name. This is verse 18. It says, here is wisdom. Let him who under has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. Now, let me tell you, friends, many have tried to assign numbers to various world leaders as well as organizations and systems, but it's really just complete speculation. And I believe, however, it will be understood once it is revealed, when it's time. It will be a confirmation to those that understand this prophecy, exactly who this Antichrist is, because they'll have an understanding of the number of the beast, the number of his of the of the number of the man and the number 666 you know this chapter 13 is not the last time we hear of the mark of the beast in chapter 16 for example it says this it says so the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth and it became loathsome and a malignant sore to the people who had the mark of the beast and who worshiped the image you know it's likely uh, this is likely one of the reasons that persecution against the saints is so, is so widespread, literally universal during the last three and a half years of the tribulation. And it's, be, it's become, it's, it is because it becomes very obvious to everyone there that the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, and the bowl judgments are the wrath of God. And the people that are, that are of God are the tribulation saints. And they are the ones that are held responsible for all of the destruction, all of the seals, all of the trumpets, all of the vile judgments, all of the things that are happening uh, to the people of God or to, to the dwellers of the earth in order to get their attention because many of them do repent uh, to get their attention. Uh, people blame that on these tribulation saints. Revelation chapter 19 verse 20 we see the mark of the beast again it says and the beast was seized and with him the false prophet who performed signs in his presence by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped his image and these two the beast and the false prophet were thrown alive into the lake of fire which burns with brimstone the book of Revelation can be summed up with these words we win we overcome the future of the beast, the false prophet, and all those who worship the beast and take the mark of the beast is, is bleak. Revelation chapter 20. Then I saw thrones, and they that sat on them, and judgment was given to them, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God, and those that had not worshipped the beast nor his image and had not received the mark on their forehead or on their hand and they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. These are the overcomers. These are the tribulation saints. Those that do not worship the beast, do not take the mark. They are overcomers and they come alive and they worship the Lord 
and they serve the Lord for a thousand years. We see on the other hand that even those who are late in coming to the Lord, the Jews, those long blinded eyes, they'll actually see the Lord. You know, the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 11, he says this, he says, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. That's Romans chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. You see, this is exactly why I say that one of the keys of understanding prophecy is understanding this hardening in part on the people of Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles, the time when God takes his bride back up with him and all of the attention of the world as well as of God, all of the attention is poured out on Israel during this last seven years, the last seven years prior to the second coming of Jesus Christ. My friends, do not fear that which is not part of your destiny. Let me say that again. Do not fear that which is not part of your destiny. Fear God, worship Him, and Him alone. The Bible says that even when you see these days approaching, look up, take heart, for your redemption draws nigh. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be able to spend a little time looking. You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.